Father, thank you for your faithfulness all through this past week. Thank you for your help and strength and all the grace you've given us. And at the start of a new week, we're grateful that this is the Lord's Day and pray that you'd bless all the activities of today. May they be good for us, for our souls, and may they be honoring to you. And we ask for your special help now as we uh, engage in this discussion about parenting. We pray more than anything that you would be our teacher. We are weak and frail. We have to go get forgiveness over and over and over again. But it's there to be had and we're grateful. And we pray that you would help us in this holy work of bringing our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So be our helper today. We ask for your blessing and give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we have one more class uh, after this week, and we're going to talk about teaching manners to our children. No, nobody ever here needs to hear about that, right? Um, we'll talk about manners. And, uh, and then we're going to take one more Sunday, uh, December 4th, and we're going to give that whole time over to uh, questions and answers. Because we've got so much material to cover, there's really not time at the end of every class to say, okay, everybody have any questions. So uh, if you, if you, it would really be helpful if you want to send your questions to me ahead of time. There's my email address. Send them to me, and we'll try to go through the uh, submitted questions first and then take general questions from um, the audience. So that'll be on December 4th, and that'll be our last class. I want to make a brief qualification from last week's lesson. I referred to the failure to discipline as a form of child abuse. That was not the best choice of words, okay? Especially in today's culture where actual child abuse is rampant and horrendous. I don't want to put the failure to discipline in that same category. The failure to discipline is harmful to our children. We wrong them if we don't discipline them. It's not good. We do them a huge disservice if we fail to implement biblical discipline in the lives of our children. But I don't think calling that child abuse, the failure to discipline, was the best choice of words. So I'm, I'm reeling those words back, okay? And uh, I, I don't want to lessen the negative impact that the failure to discipline our children will have on them. It will. I heard, I heard just 15 minutes ago about a little um, three or four-year-old that the parents never say no to. Nobody in this room, well, that I know about. The one I heard about was not, was not represented here. Well, I, I, that is a huge disservice to that child. So um, I want to modify the way I said that last week. Um, let me tell you about one more resource that I've not uh, listed for you in parenting. You're familiar with Ginger Hubbard's book, Don't Make Me Count to Three, a really good book. Well, she has a podcast. And it's called Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. So you can just look that up on the internet. Uh, Ginger, look it up on gingerhubbard.com. And you could find some help there. Uh, the Proverbs books are ready to go. Five bucks a pop. Put your money in the box. Take the book. No money in box, no book. 
Okay? No money, no book. Five bucks book. Y'all understand that. You guys are getting better. Okay. Uh, there are two, right above that box on the top of the stage are two new handouts from today's class. The others here on the, on the top step are old ones that we've already handed out. And in case you missed them, they're here and available for you. Now, this morning we want to cover the massive and complex issues of technology and dating. And we're going we're gonna to buzz through this because we've got a lot to cover, okay? Um, we've often said in this class that we need wisdom and courage to fulfill our role as parents in this day and age, especially with the issues that are in front of us. And, uh, and that is especially true when it comes to technology and dating. It is undeniably complex. It calls for large measures of wisdom and courage, and we know exactly where to find them. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom for parenting. Stay low. You need wisdom? Stay low. God gives grace and wisdom to the humble. If any of you parents like wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. And wait for the Lord. Be strong, parents, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. We need tons of wisdom and courage to navigate the complex issues of technology and dating. Let's focus first on technology, the explosion over the last several years in the whole realm of technology, but particularly with reference to social media, video games, and the almost universal access anyone can have to those platforms should give every one of us pause. We need to step back and think about how we're going to make our way through these issues of technology. Our radar must be up especially for our children and young people. Our courage must be strengthened. Our wisdom must be biblically informed. And our convictions, and I'm, I'm, I'm using that word on purpose, our convictions, especially with regard to the images and words both we and our children are taking in and putting out, our convictions must be unwaveringly grounded in the clear statements and unavoidable implications of Scripture. That's easy to say. It's easy to agree with. But when it comes to implementing those convictions in our homes and with our children without alienating them and without provoking them to wrath, it can be really hard and challenging. That's why it's critically important to see our parenting as a whole thing. Okay? How many times have I said that in the last uh, seven weeks? We can't isolate any part of parenting and just do it out here and think we're going to do a really good job with this if we've neglected all this. Okay, so that's true. That's just as true with the stance we take on technology and dating. Uh, this is also, this issue of technology is also where the curse of a double standard will completely undermine what we're trying to do with our children. When it comes to their use of technology, don't think that our children don't know how addicted we are to our phones and computers. They see it. And if we're not willing to live by the same basic standards we set down for our children, then it's not going to stick with our kids. 
Before we jump into this, let me give you some clear biblical principles that have a direct bearing on our use of and involvement with technology. You didn't think the Bible said anything about technology. It says a lot about our use of technology. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. That has a direct bearing on texting. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. That has a direct bearing on our use of technology. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The mind set on the flesh is death, and it's hostile to God. Set your mind on things above. Think about that when you're pulling up images on your phone. Set your mind on things above. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be, sti and be, sti and be still. What is, what is society like right now? We've lost the discipline of silence. Be still. Turn everything off. Be still. He leads me beside quiet waters. My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. There is an appointed time for everything. The time to be silent. The Bible says that. There's a time to turn it all off and to, and to, and to put it down. So may those foundational principles help to guide us. I usually say something at this point about the good gift that technology is and it can be and the benefits are many and it's a good gift from God. Guess what? I'm using it right here. I'm using it right here. It's a good gift. The benefits are many and I'll let you flesh out the idea. My point is not that we should ban all technology. We need to learn how to use it wisely. Let me talk a little bit about the challenges we're up against. You've heard your kids say before, everybody has one. That's probably never more true than it is right now. When am I going to get a phone? Everybody's got one. Well, that's probably true. Much closer to being true than it's ever been. A phone, a social media account, access the internet, video games, etc. Everybody's got one. That's a challenge we've got to face. Number two, there's the challenge of a new level of parental involvement if our children are to enter this supercharged atmosphere of technological wonder. It just requires more of us, period. It does. Um, this is from a book called Screen Kids by Gary Chapman and Arlene Pellicane, a really helpful resource. And it's published by, oh, you can get it on Amazon, Northfield Publishing out of Chicago. A really helpful book. The authors of this book say we must begin this journey with the decision to put our children before our devices. Comprende? Do you understand? We must put our children before our devices. It's time to treat our kids with more respect and attention than we give our phones, and we must fight 
for our kids to experience childhood before they experience devices. A real childhood is filled with play, books, skinned knees, adventures, and imagination, not just sitting, swiping, and tapping. Kids need to stop looking, sorry, kids stop looking up and around at the world in curiosity. Their heads go down and stay down. They need to, they need to look at the world around them and experience it with their actual five senses. So that, that requires just so much more parental involvement on our part. There's the challenge of the whole issue of pornography, an industry that used to be relatively hidden. You had to look for it. Now it's looking for you. And if you don't believe that, then it's time to get your head out of the sand. It is looking for you. 12 to 17-year-olds is the largest group of Internet porn users. Hello? 12 to 17. How many of you have 12 to 17-year-olds? They're in this group. Pornography sites have more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. That ought to rattle your cage. The addictive nature of much of this technology is screaming at us and we're not always listening. Why, why is it so addictive? Why is technology so addictive? Why is it hard to disengage from screen time? This, was, this is helpful from a book by Adam Alter called The Rise and Fall of Addictive Technology and the Business of Keeping Us Hooked. There are no stopping cues. This is part of what contributes to its addiction. There are no stopping cues. Old TV shows played one episode a week and when it was over, it was over and you had to wait for a whole other week to get the next episode of Gunsmoke. Some of you don't even know what Gunsmoke was. Ah! <laughs> Leave it to Beaver. Um, you know, you could go down the list. It would, it, after 30 minutes, it's done. Even old video games used to say, game over. They don't do that anymore. They automatically start over. YouTube, when what, when what you selected is over, another one automatically starts. You can scroll for hours and hours and hours on social media, and there's no end. That's part of what makes it so addictive. There are no stopping cues. There's nothing to say, time's up. Move on. Screens are all about rewards and goals. The rewards in video game are at first relatively small and random, but they keep you playing for more. Another ding, another weapon, another race, another level, another life. And then they get farther and farther apart. By that time, you're hooked and you've got to get to the next one. So you keep playing for hours on end. Launch the bird, save the princess, collect the treasure, shoot the enemy, destroy the target, win the race, beat the score of some kid a continent away that you don't even know. Real life goals are more like finish your homework, practice the piano, mow the grass, rake the leaves, help mom in the kitchen with the dishes. Pick up your room. <laughs> Screens have the ability to hijack good goals by giving our kids artificial and inferior ones. 
screens compete against real life goals. A recent study by the National Institute of Health of almost 12,000 children revealed the following. MRI scans found significant differences in the brains of children who reported using smartphones, tablets, and video games more than seven hours a day. That showed up in MRIs of their brains. Spending more than two hours a day on screens resulted in lower scores on thinking and language tests. Kids with a lot of screen time showed a premature thinning of the cerebral cortex, that part of the brain that processes information from the five senses. That part of the brain starts to decline prematurely without your senses interacting with the real world. Brain scans of kids who spend 20 hours or more a week on video games have been compared with the brain scans of people who are addicted to drugs or alcohol. Their brain scans are similar. Communication has changed. Everything about communication, we're, we're talking about challenges with technology, communication has changed. Everything about communication from the amount, the nature, the speed, the vocab, the urgency, it is all different. It used to be this, and now it's this. Communication has changed. Some parents can bear to get their kids' attention away from the screen in their hands. Some kids can bear to get their parents' attention away from their own little cyber world. Rudeness is on the rise in families. Remember what you used to say about somebody who whispered in the presence of other people? That's rude. And now when Johnny gets in the car from school, what is he doing? He's whispering in the presence of his mother. That's rude. Texting and social networking have changed the nature of friendship and relationships. Relationships have changed. How they're established, maintained, and ended. You can now be friends with people you don't even know. Really? Yeah. You can say things behind the faceless world of texting and social networking. Communication and friendship has changed. Anybody ever read Zitz? That's a comic strip, Zitz. Jeremy, I was looking at your Facebook page today and I, what, why? Mom, Facebook is for social networking. We live in the same house. If you have something to say, just text me. He had over 2,000 Facebook friends. I was expecting a bigger turnout at his funeral. It's changed. You can be friends with people you don't even know. You can say things behind texting that you would never dare to say to someone's face. If a tech-savvy 20-something walked into a church service where the pastor was preaching on the one-another relationships of the New Testament... Describing some of the practical outworkings of loving one another, he would most likely be altogether clueless because that's so foreign. Extended conversations are on the endangered species list. We're going to lose the benefit of thought-provoking, stimulating, encouraging, helpful, eyeball-to-eyeball conversations because we're consumed with this screen 
in front of us. What's that going to do to preaching over the next five years? When our congregations are increasingly made up of screen junkies. The use of technology is making it harder. It's another challenge. Making it hard for young people to be content. The more time you spend on social media, the more you see what other people are doing, where they are, who they're with, and what they have. And what does that breed? Discontent. Because you wish you had what they had. You wish you were where they were. You wish you were who they were with. And it leads to an increasing discomfort with silence and solitude, which takes only a moment's reflection to conclude that that could have a serious impact on spending time alone with God, your Bible, and your own heart. Those are some of the challenges we're up against. So what are we to do? How do we respond? We don't ban all technology from our homes. Man, I'd like to sometimes. (laughs) But that's not the world in which we live, okay? It's not the technology that is evil. It's the way we use it. So the solution, at least for those who are converted, begins at the cross where we take all our own great weakness, all our own parental weakness and failures. Our lack of self-control, our too frequent love of the world and its things, and we ask forgiveness and cleansing. And we beg God for fresh grace to not be mastered by anything. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Who's the boss here? Who's the boss, you or the phone? Why is it so hard to put it down? Because it's become our master. And we so have to help our children through that difficult challenge. And then we need to put some practical results to that prayer for ourselves and our children that will not be mastered by anything. Lord, help us. We must lead the way. And so we establish limits. We establish limits just like we have established rules for other things in our households. We establish limits. And the, the, you know what the hard thing about establishing limits is? Keeping them. Right? So there should be time limits. And I've got a list of these on one of the handouts up here. You don't have to try to write these down. Uh, There should be time limits for computer, video, game, texting, social networking. You get this much time today. End of discussion. There need to be priorities established and kept. What comes first? Homework, chores, video games. Is it more important to text your friends or talk to your parents about your day at school? Establish priorities for your home and keep them and talk about them with your children and put a list on on the refrigerator or whatever you need to do. If your child has a computer, be sure it is located where you can see the screen and that is not in their bedroom. Right? Do not put a computer in your child's bedroom. If they have an email account, 
You have their password and the freedom to read any incoming or outgoing email or texts. The, the, there, there's a thing, um, it's been this way for several years, called um, a child's zone of privacy. You must never invade your child's zone of privacy. Hog wash. You better invade your child's zone of privacy. The welfare of their soul depends on whether or not you invade their zone of privacy. If they have a phone, you teach them that that phone is first God's, second it's yours, and third it's theirs. And having that phone or computer is a privilege, not a right, and can be lost. It means you have access to their text messaging. You have, you, you have some sort of filtering software installed on your computer and on everything that functions in your home on the internet. More about that in a second. You need to spend some time teaching your children what to do and not to do with their phones or computers. There are certain information you never, ever, 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 ever put out there on the internet. Because predators are looking for your children. You understand that? Predators are looking for your children. You want to know what music <clears throat> is on um, your child's iPods or phones? Do all their songs come through your iTunes account? Music is a powerful, powerful teaching tool. We learn a lot of good theology with good hymns and songs. The flip side of that is true. There's a lot of garbage that our kids can learn from music. Do you know what's on their phones? Can they download apps on their phones on their own? <clears throat> or do they have to come to you for the password and you see what they're downloading and you say, no, we can't do that, son. Can they access the internet generally? Or can they own these sites that have not been blocked by you that have access to your computer phone when you're not using it? And they can, get, can they get on the internet without having you enter a password? It's dangerous. Do your kids keep their phones with them at night or do they turn them in to you when they go to bed? Turn them in. Turn them, turn them in. Are they allowed to bring their phones to the dinner table with them? Do you bring yours? <laughs> to the dinner table with family? Questions to ask. Is your media diet making you healthy or sick? Are you consuming too much media? Is it keeping you from your regular Bible reading and prayer? Is your media consumption helping you to engage with and love God more? Is it helping you to engage with and love your neighbor more? There are a number of filtering blocking programs available that can be installed on your computers. I've got them on a sheet up here. Um, there are various prices. They have various features. Uh, you can see them on this handout and look at them. Uh, I mentioned the book Screen Kids, uh, really helpful resource. Go to Focus on the Family and do a search on, on technology and you'll find lots of help. Tim Chowley's website has some really good things. And Kim Commando, who has a radio show on technology every Saturday morning on 
I don't know if that's on, uh, you can get it here in town. It might be on WMI or it might be on, I'm sorry, WMI. A really helpful program um, and uh, she'll have some resources that will help you monitor uh, your kids' use of technology. So I, I hope you get the idea. We got we to gotta keep moving here, but you might say, I can't afford to spend that kind of time monitoring my children's use of technology. You know what the answer to that is? You can't afford not to. And while it's perfectly legit for some things to be appropriate for adults, not for children, we as parents must set the bar high in our own use of technology so that our children are not getting mixed messages from us. Okay, out of that frying pan and into the fire. Dating. We've got 15 minutes. I'll tell you everything you need to know about dating in 15 minutes, okay? Um, no, we won't. Um, it, it, the challenge of boyfriend-girlfriend relationships is huge. And uh, we need so much wisdom to guide our quickly our quickly, our quickly growing children. Our quickly growing children. Hello? Are we on that page now? Our quickly, I don't care how old your kids are. How old is your little one? Four and a half months. Four and a half months. Dating is going to be in the picture tomorrow. Okay? I mean, it goes that fast. So we need to be thinking about this. If you don't have any children... I, Danny, how far along is your dear sweet wife? 17 She had to tell you, right? <laughs> 17, 17 weeks, okay? The day after tomorrow, you're going to be dealing with this stuff. Okay? There's been a pretty good debate for years over which view of dating is the right view, courtship, or a more traditional dating model. I'm not going to solve that problem. Well, that, that they both have their strengths and weaknesses. Good, healthy marriages have come out of both. Stressful marriages that end in divorce have come out of both models of dating. But the ultimate goal, whichever view you take, is that our children need to be moving toward marriage. Ten years ago, I never thought I'd be encouraging parents to encourage their children to get to know the opposite sex. But I'm doing it. And I'll tell you why in a second. In 2001, the marriage rate was 8.2 per thousand people. In 2020, it was 5.1 per 2,000 people. What's happened to the marriage rate? It's going down. You ready for this one? In 1950, um, sorry, let me do this first. The average age of people getting married in 1947 was 23.7 men and 20.5 for women. In 2021, it was 30.4 for men and 28.6 for women. In 1950, the birth rate in the U.S. was 25 per thousand. In 2020, it was 12 per thousand. It's cut in half. The birth rate has dropped 50 percent. 
Almost 50% of all marriages end in divorce. So what do we draw? Marriages are declining. There are fewer people getting married. That was God's design out of the gate. Wasn't it? Leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife and they should be one flesh. Marriages are happening much later in life, which makes it much harder for them to adjust and much harder to have and rear children. Half of the marriages in our country don't last. The birth rate is declining sharply. Why? Why is that? May I suggest that an interest in pursuing a significant relationship with a view to marriage has been seriously hindered by pornography, by video games, by by online dating, by self-absorption. I'm fine just by myself. I don't need anybody to be complete. I saw a thing the other day where a guy married his stuffed animal. Really? He married his stuffed animal? That's going to complete you? No. Sex anytime with anybody. No commitments. Benefits without responsibility. Kids can be a real pain. Who wants to have them? What's happened to the birth rate? It's gone down 50% in the last 20 years. The general moral decline of our society moves us away from biblical norms like marriage. A, a, A thought that i got to wait for the perfect guy or the perfect girl. The right body, the right looks, the right financial future locked up, the right connections, the right chemistry, the right interest. You'll never find that one. So serious relationships are delayed, and the longer they're delayed, the harder they are to develop. And all of that flies in the face of God's general design for the human race. God created men in His own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Those are strange words to our society today. So in light of our culture's trend away from God's general design, For society, Paul's exhortation to the Romans is appropriate here. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God generally for men and women is to be married and have children. That's good and acceptable and perfect. So the question is, how do we get our children ready for that? How do we encourage them to pursue that goal without falling prey to the pressures of the world around them? Whether you take a more old school approach or a court dating approach or a courtship approach and, and 
whatever level of parental involvement in that, and there better be a high level of parental involvement in your kids' dating lives. What I'm going to give you here are, are what I'm calling non-negotiables. We must have from our children who are approaching the pursuit of a lifelong mate and are living under our roof, we must have a solid commitment to remain sexually pure until marriage. That is not a given anymore. We must have a solid commitment to be involved in your local church from our kids. And if you, if, you, if you need to write that up in contract form and sign it and date it, then write it up and sign it and date it. But these are non-negotiables in the rearing of your children. A solid commitment to avoid all pornography. You can't expect that of your children if it's not a real commitment for you. And I'd be the biggest fool on the planet to think that nobody in this room has had a problem with pornography. You want your children to stay away from it? Stay away from it. A willingness to be held accountable for your relationships to your parents, your pastors, and or a trusted, godly friend. We must have these commitments from our children. But we don't suddenly spring those things on our 18 or 19-year-old teenagers out of the blue. Preparing your children for developing healthy relationships with the opposite sex begins long before they're old enough for that. For example, teaching our children the meaning of true friendship is critical, and especially that friends are not selfish. How many dating relationships wind up in ruins because one or more parties in that dating relationship have been selfish? I want this for me. Teach your kids the meaning of true friendship. Teach your boys how to treat their sisters and their mother. I never grew up with sisters, but boy, did my dad teach me how to treat my mom. And don't mess with that. I have a story I'll tell you sometime about my dad. I have a story I'll tell you in a minute about my mom. Um, but ask me, ask me about my dad and how he poked it. My dad was shorter than me and wider than me. Okay, I'll tell you a story about my dad. <laughs> and we're leaving, a, I was in high school, and we're leaving a high school basketball game with one of our local rivals. And we're walking across the parking lot, and there are, some guys from the other school just turning the air blue with their language in the hearing of my mother. And my short little big dad turned around and those guys were like this. And he put his finger at least an inch into this guy's chest. <clears throat> Don't you ever use language like that in the presence of a woman again. You know what they did? They shut up because they were afraid of my dad. Because he had the courage to defend the honor of his wife. That is burned into my brain. And our kids need to see that from us. Teach your boys how to treat their sisters 
and their mother. Help, them, help your girls especially, but your boys too. Help them to develop a biblical self-image so that when the time comes, they clearly understand that their worth and value is not tied to their good looks, the number of guys that call or girls that flirt. Not having a date is a serious blow to your self-image. Not having had sex by the time you're 16 or 17 is oh, you're, what a failure you are. No, it gives them a good, solid, biblical self-image. You dads need to develop healthy relationships with your daughters. Loving, appropriately affectionate relationships will go a long way. So when your daughter grows up, she'll be sure that you approve of her and she won't need to look for approval with, from the opposite sex in wrong ways and places. What you let your kids see, listen to, and read will have a profound effect on their whole view of developing a relationship with the opposite sex. Teach them what to look for. Teach them what to look for in a potential spouse. Someone who loves God first and foremost. Someone who is not self-absorbed. They have a demonstrable love for others. That's the second greatest commandment. Someone who understands that evidence is humility. That all I am and have and, and am able to do hangs from start to finish upon God and His great mercy. Someone who welcomes the sanctifying effect of, benefit of accountability. Someone who knows and practices the grace of putting others before themselves. This is, what we, this is what our kids need to be looking for in a spouse. It's what they need to be. And we need to be teaching that to our kids. Let me give you a couple of cautions and encouragements. Getting involved with the opposite sex prematurely can cultivate emotions and commitments that have no appropriate end point. They can throw young people who are relatively immature together in situations that call for huge amounts of mature behavior and decisions. What is premature for one child may not be for another. Be careful that you don't make your family's practice in this whole round boy-girl stuff what every other family you know must practice. Okay? Be careful to monitor your child's relationships. They are your business. Sorry about my mom. <clears throat> she put the brakes on a relationship that was pretty strong and serious when I was 20 years old. She said, son, she is not the right woman for you. I've been out west that whole summer. I grew up in Ohio. And the girl I met at college happened to live just 60 miles away from where I grew up. And um, we'd been dating for uh, probably a year or so. And it was getting pretty serious. And, and when I was out west that summer, she came down from Cleveland, Ohio to spend a day with my mom. And the result of that was my mom got on the phone and said, son, she's not right for you. Mom, have you lost your mind? I, that was that phone call came just days before I got home at the end of the summer and about to go back to college where I'd see her again. So I got in the car. I drove to Cleveland. We spent the day together. And at the end of that day, because in my gut, I knew my mom was right. Deep down in my gut, I knew she was right. I didn't want to own up. To, I didn't want to admit it, but I knew she was right. So I, I, we spent the day together. At the end of the day, I said, I, we can't do this anymore. It's over. And I cried like a baby two-thirds of the way home in the car by myself.
but I've reaped the benefit of that conversation for the last 50 years. It's her birthday today. And I'm so thankful my mom had the courage to say the hard thing to me. Monitor your child's relationship. Encourage your children when appropriate to peek out of their own little world and to see that God made the opposite sex for their good and for his glory. And do it in a healthy, wholesome kind of way. But do it. And pray for your child's spouse. Pray for your child's spouse. We don't have children. I don't care. Pray for your child's spouse. <laughs> We've seen the answer to prayers that we started praying before our boys were a year old. Pray for your child's spouse. Okay, we got we to gotta go. Um, may the Lord help us and give us grace to help our kids navigate technology and dating. And it can be done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the principles of your word that guide us. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. And give us grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.